When Joe asked me to preach, he asked me to talk about a moment or a time in my life when God was most present. Joe can attest that I immediately knew that moment for me was my time serving as a Marine Corps platoon commander in Afghanistan. My time in Afghanistan was a time when 1 Peter 3.15 rang most true in my life. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In addition to God helping bring me hope, I witnessed some truly amazing displays from strong Christians that I was surrounded by. I'd like to tell you a few of those stories today. Before I go into my personal stories of war, I want to let you know that my story is not unique. Throughout the years and currently, men and women serving in our military have experienced the horrors of war far greater than I can ever imagine. Every person's experience in every conflict is different. And my story is one small glimpse of what it was like for me as a Christian to lead a platoon of 44 Marines in the Helmand province of Afghanistan in 2010. For a bit of context, the year was 2010, and Barack Obama had just announced that he would be surging troop levels in Afghanistan by 33,000 in an effort to defeat the Taliban and regain control of the Helmand province, which was the Taliban's major stronghold. My platoon was composed of 44 combat engineers whose mission was to provide close combat engineering support to our infantry battalion, which totaled nearly 1,000 Marines. Close combat engineering support for us included, included utilizing mine detectors to search for improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, utilizing explosives to breach obstacles, and building structures and small bases for the infantry to conduct operations out of. The Marine Corps had just completed the first surge-related offensive by gaining a foothold in Marja, and my unit was assigned the mission of relieving the unit who had conducted the assault of Marja, remove the Taliban from the region, and lastly, help the local population establish an effective means of government. For those of you who follow the news closely, you may remember Marja was portrayed as an urban area, but that was far from reality. The citizens of Marja lived in adobe mud hut compounds with no running water, no plumbing, and no electricity. The city is checkered by a network of canals stemming from the Helmand River, which the U.S. funded in the 1950s and 60s to irrigate the open desert and introduce agriculture into the region. In 2010, Marja's agriculture was almost entirely marijuana and poppy fields, which the Taliban used to fund their operations. After arriving in Afghanistan, turning over with the unit that had just completed their seven-month tour and getting settled into our tents, my platoon of mostly 18 to 19-year-old young Marines was anxious to finally be able to perform their mission that they had been training for. Although I had mostly Marines with no real-world experience, I was blessed to have three excellent sergeants who each had over five years in the Marine Corps 
and, mo and, had, and most had experienced several combat tours in Iraq. My young Marines looked up to those three sergeants like father figures, and in particular looked up to the first squad leader, whose name was Joey Bovier. Joey was the type of leader and type of Marine who you watch and admire in the movies. His enthusiasm and leadership were contagious, and he could make the Marines under his charge smile and give their best in the worst of situations. To a young platoon commander with only a year of time in the, in the Corps, he was simply a godsend. After only a couple of weeks in country, my platoon received our first mission in early August of 2010. We were to patrol by foot through Marja and split up into three squads and utilize C4 explosives to simultaneously demolish three small footbridges over a canal that the Taliban were using as a supply route. Upon hearing the mission, I could barely contain my excitement as this was a dream job for a combat engineer. As a combat engineer, we can get tasked with good missions and bad ones. One bad example might be building piss tubes, which are nothing but a length of PVC sticking out of a pile of stone for Marines to relieve themselves in. So you could understand why I was excited to be able to conduct a more glamorous combat engineer duty. After spending a few hours preparing an initial plan, I raced back to my tent where my Marines and I were living and briefed the platoon on our upcoming mission. Just as I had thought, I looked around and saw smiling faces, happy to have received such an awesome mission. For the rest of the days leading up to the mission, my Marines prepared by studying maps and building explosives that, would carry, that we would carry and utilize to demolish the bridges. The night before we set out on the mission, I can vividly remember my nervous excitement to be leading Marines into combat, but I cannot remember saying any prayers. I'm sure I probably did, but praying that evening did not stick into my memory bank. As soon as daylight appeared on the horizon, we set out, on ex on, we set out and executed the mission, which went off largely without a hitch. We patrolled to the assault point, split up into squads, deployed explosives, simultaneously took out the three bridges, and returned to the assault point to patrol back to base. I could not have been more proud of my Marines, and they could not have been more proud of, proud of themselves. Everything went smooth until about 500 yards from our patrol base when a small IED fizzled and popped about 15 feet in front of me, and we were ambushed with machine gun fire that sounded like it was coming from mere yards away. As soon as I heard the first sound of gunfire, I looked around at an empty desert with no cover and sprinted for a small crop of dirt about 30 yards away. I don't think I arrived at my position before the machine gun fire stopped. The ambush came from the far side of a 30-foot wide canal. As Marines are taught, we looked around and assessed that no one was hit, composed ourselves, and began launching a counterattack towards where we believed the gunfire was coming from. We waded across the canal and found spent shell casings, but no sign of the enemy. After collecting the casings as evidence, we regrouped and went back to base where high-fiving and hilarity ensued. 
Just like a group of high school boys who had escaped being caught while being up to no good, we reveled in our near miss and ability to make the enemy withdraw. There were laughs and high fives and plenty of after action reviews of what we could have done better, but not any prayers that I could see, nor can I remember specifically thanking God myself for protecting us on that day. Days later, we received our next mission, which would be to build a small patrol base for a dozen infantry marines with an elevated guard tower along a 20-foot-wide dirt road that the Taliban had continually planted IEDs on to strike the military vehicle convoys coming in and out of the area. This is actually the location of where we built the patrol base. If you look at the... the uh, the base that's just to the top left of your screen, that is the patrol base we built. It used to be an adobe mud hut compound, and on the intersection at the middle of the screen is where we were building an elevated guard tower so that Marines could look up and down the road and make sure that IEDs could not be uh, planted along that road at any time. As now battle-hardened and tested Marines, we were chomping at the bit to get back out there. We spent several days planning and loading supplies on trucks that we would need to accomplish the mission. We were tasked with providing our own security through the use of our up-armored gun trucks and were supported by a squad of infantry marines who would patrol the area while we built the patrol base and guard tower. The mission was to take four days of work. The first two days went perfectly while we were working on the patrol base. We took over an abandoned adobe compound and built four guard posts in each corner. We then blew out a section of the north wall with an armored bulldozer and built a serpentine entrance out of HESCO material, which amounts to a large seven-foot by seven-foot felt-lined cage that you can connect together and then fill with dirt. The finished product can stop an RPG or 50 cal round. We then spent the evening of day two by wrapping detonation cord and C4 around the trunks of small trees lining the perimeter of the patrol base and blowing them up to knock them down and clear fields of fire from every guard post. The morning of day three began with us starting the guard tower itself, which was to be an elevated tower of HESCO and a wood frame guard post on the four-way intersection of the road. It was a pleasant morning, and we even met the local neighborhood family of Afghanis who sold us bottled Coke and candies. Around midday, the first squad leader was erecting the wood frame base of the guard tower, and I watched closely as Joey, my first squad leader, barked orders from the top of the guard post to keep the Marines motivated when again, the sound of the loudest machine gun that I've ever heard pierced through the heat of the Marja Desert. I was in the patrol base guard post with another Marine and immediately jumped down and grabbed my flak jacket and helmet and yelled to the Marines at the intersection to assess the impact of the enemy fire. My heart dropped when my Marines yelled back that two of my Marines were hit and Sergeant Joey Bovier, the heart and soul of my platoon, was hit in the head. I sprang into action on the radio to call for a medevac and my Marines sprang into action returning fire to the east where the enemy shots originated from while simultaneously 
recovering the wounded. My Marines dragged Joey and another wounded Marine who was shot in the leg back into the patrol base. My heart sank again when I looked at Joey and realized that he was unconscious and bleeding badly from the back of his head. I can remember vividly praying profusely for God to save Joey in those moments. What felt like 30 minutes later, but could have been less, a Black Hawk medevac helicopter buzzed over our position and courageously landed outside the patrol base. A group of Marines carried the stretchers, the stretchers to the Black Hawk and loaded Joey and the other Marine into the bird, all along while receiving sporadic, inaccurate enemy gunfire from quite a distance away. While Joey was unconscious, he was able to somehow maintain a faint heartbeat all the way to the helicopter. When the bird lifted off and was eventually on the horizon, and all my Marines were safely back in the patrol base, I gathered them together and asked everyone to take a knee, and we prayed for our wounded brothers. After the prayer, a peacefulness took over the patrol base, and the worn-out, adrenaline, hungover Marines passed out against adobe walls and tires of armored vehicles. I stayed awake and prayed as intensely and authentically as I ever have. At that moment, God could not have been more present in my life. About an hour later, the Marine Corps captain and first sergeant in charge of the battle space that I was occupying arrived and pulled me aside. They told me that Joey had passed away inside the Black Hawk before it had landed. Tears streamed down my face as I asked the first sergeant how and when I should tell my Marines who were still fast asleep. The first sergeant advised me that I should let them know now. I spent a few moments debating how I would break their hearts and then gathered my emotion, wiped off my tears, and woke them up, and they slowly circled around me. I told them I just got word that Sergeant Bovier passed away in the helicopter on the way back to the field hospital. I said, I do not know what to do right now other than to pray for Sergeant Bovier, his family, our other wounded brother, and the rest of the platoon. We all took a knee, and I led them in prayer, asking God to take care of Joey, his family, our other wounded Marine, and give us the strength to carry on with our mission today and give us strength to finish the deployment. God has never been more present in my life than he was at that moment. We were only one month into a seven-month deployment, and over the next six months, we would endure six other combat-wounded Marines, but did not endure another Marine killed in action. I am lucky to have two God-fearing parents who understand what it means to be part of a military family. For those of you who do not know, my father served in the Marine Corps for more than 30 years, and my mother faithfully endured many years of being a military spouse to an active duty service member to include holding down the fort with three kids at home during several overseas deployments. I will always be grateful for my parents being willing to represent me at Joey's funeral, which took place a few short weeks after Joey was killed while we were still in Afghanistan. I was able to reach out to my parents via satellite phone from Afghanistan, and they were able to rearrange work and family life schedules to make sure they could be in attendance to pay their respects to Joey's family.
From all accounts, Joey's funeral was nothing short of exceptional, and he certainly deserved nothing less. The mayor of Kenner, Louisiana, ordered all of the city's flags at half-mast, and the entirety of the route that the hearse traveled from the service to Joey's final resting place was lined with American flag-wielding supporters. A very special thing happened at Joey's funeral that I will never forget. At some point in the midst of all the turmoil of the service, my mother was able to catch Mrs. Bovier, Joey's mother, for a brief few moments to offer her condolences. In those few minutes of time, on what was likely the worst day of her life, Mrs. Bovier directed 100% of her attention to my mom. She embraced her and asked her if she could pray for me. In the midst of grieving for her son Joey at his funeral, who was lost only weeks earlier, she was able to keep God in the center of her life and pray for another mother's son who was still serving in a combat zone. To me, that embodies what it means to be a follower of Christ, and it embodies what it means to serve others faithfully like how Jesus lived his life. Later, as quoted in the local paper, Mrs. Bovier would say, My son first was a child of Jesus Christ, and the Lord called him to do what he was doing. Secondly, he was our child, and thirdly, he was a Marine. One of my father's favorite verses that I think rings true for how Joey's mother was able to stay so faithful in such a dark time is Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. We as humans will never be able to understand the purpose and the, re- and the reason for the hardships in our own lives and the wickedness that is in this world. But one thing that we can be confident in knowing is that if we lean on God and submit to him in good times and in the worst of times, we can know we are living the life that God wants us to live. It is much easier for us as Christians to keep God in the center of our lives when we have want or when we have need. What it truly means to live a God-centered life is to keep that focus on God every hour and every moment of every day. Just like my experience in Afghanistan, I cannot tell you that God was in the center of my life after my first close call, but I can tell you God was absolutely in the center of my life during the hardest day of my life losing Joey in Afghanistan. If we as Christians are able to tap in a fraction of the focus we have on God during the hardest of times during everyday life, we would truly be able to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. I challenge each of you to think about that time that God was most present in your own life and remind yourself daily of what that felt like and use that moment as a way to bring God into every small moment in your daily life. Live your life like the pilot who turned to God in thanks well after a crisis was averted. And live your life like Mrs. Bovier and have hope through your faith in Christ, even when you are walking through the darkest of times. Through the steadfast hope and faith we share in Christ, we can be a true light for others who have not yet come to know Jesus. Let us pray.
God, help us to keep you in sharp focus every second of every day. Thank you for the wonderful life examples of Joey and his mother, Teresa Bovier. Please help us to remember their sacrifice and the hope they held within in the most trying of times. Please allow their shining light to be a constant reminder for us to keep your love centered in our hearts always. In the strong and loving name of Jesus, amen.